You're listening to a podcast from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Alex Cartes uses the story of David and Bathsheba as a cautionary tale for integrity and how to resist one's temptations and fleshly desires. Hello, everybody. How many of you were here last week? Have you killed your giant yet? I'm just kidding. You know, and God knows. But I hope you started already. You know, if you are halfway through the neck, decapitating it is good. So I encourage you to keep going, okay? God has given you the victory already. So all good. Now, I was talking to my um, wife before about the preaching. And this is a bit different to the one we had before. We are talking about the uh, lessons from the life of David. And today we're going to do the confession of the king. Now, we saw a man of God, a giant killer. We talked about his faith, his trust in God. Today we're going to see a different aspect of David. But maybe it's something that we have seen also in ourselves. So we are going to start, I'm going to start by reading Psalm 51, 1 to 10. This is a Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely, you decide truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with Isop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Have you read any biographies lately? Have you ever read any biographies of famous people? Okay? When we read biographies, yeah, we see the good and the bad, but most of the time it's the very good in people. You know? They are portrayed in uh, excellent terms. But when we read the Bible, we see something totally different. When the Bible speaks of people, the Bible shows the good and the bad, their victories and their failures. And uh, I'm so encouraged when I read the Bible because, you know, when I see those guys who are people of God, called by God, sometimes they struggle in life and still God works with them and through them, it makes me feel a bit better, knowing that God can, even when we are broken, He can restore us and do something good with us, a new vessel. 
And we see this with different people in the Bible. Abraham, you know, he was a friend of God. But still, he lied about his wife twice. He said she was his sister. That brought some troubles, some problems to him. We see Peter, you know, he was with the Lord. And what did he do that was really bad? He denied Jesus. But when he repented, God did something beautiful with him. He was the first one who preached the first sermon. First of all, to the Hebrews in Jerusalem, and later on, to the Gentiles. In 2 Samuel 11, we see David. And this is the man after God's own heart. And it's very sad because we are going to see when we read, if you have read this, you know that he uh, did things that were really, really, really bad in the eyes of the Lord. And we are going to talk about them today. But as I recount the story, I want you to remember Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 10:12. Before we start. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This is a very long story. I'm going to try to keep it short again. I thought the previous one was, but this one has got a few more layers on it. But I'll try to do my best. Second Samuel 11.1, 1, it says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who was his army commander, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So what did they do? They went to attack the Ammonites. And they did it in the spring. And that was quite common back in the day. Because you think spring... You think harvest. And back then, people would go there to steal the harvest from the enemy. Okay? To give it to your people. That was the thing back then. The Bible, this is the other thing. In many places when you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't endorse some things. It just describes some things. You know? So don't think that, oh, God was, yep, yep, you should do that. God didn't command them to do that. But they did it because that was what they used to do back in the day. And King David didn't go to war. He stayed at home. One day, one evening, I think he probably had a nap because it says he got up from his bed. Look, he was doing nothing. He had still time to take a nap. And then he walked around. He went to the roof of the palace. And from there, from that vantage point, he looked, and what did he see? A beautiful woman having a bath. The Bible tells us that she was purifying herself from, you know, uh, her monthly uncleanness. In other words, she had had her period, okay, recently. And in the Bible, back in the day, when that happened, a woman was declared unclean. So they, she couldn't go, you know, to... Um, to the temple, let's say, even though it wasn't there, the tabernacle, until that had passed, and then she needed to have a bath. Now, he saw that woman. I don't understand why she was there having it, because she could have had that inside the house or with some, something covering her, okay? And then David, 
had a look, and something started working in his mind. So he asked and sent some messengers and said, I want you to find out who this girl is. Well, they came back and, and said to him, her name is Bathsheba. And she was married. She was a wife of Uriah the Hittite. In David's mind, he was thinking about it. Last, you know, grab his heart. And he started thinking, the husband is fighting. She is by herself. I am the king. I am here. Nobody knows. I'm powerful. Bring her to me. So they brought the lady to him. She came to him. And the Bible says, as simple as this, he slept with her. Now, we might think, yeah, David was a king. He was powerful. She probably got intimidated and said, okay, well, he is a king. I have to obey. The Bible doesn't go into the details. But in my opinion, for people to go to bed, unless it's rape, you need consent. So my guess is that she consented. So they slept together, and then the following day, she went back home. But this is the bad. A short time later, she realized that she was pregnant. You see, sometimes some people think, this is a one-night stand only. Nobody else is going to know. Don't be deceived, especially the young ones. Don't be deceived. You know, you might think it's a one-night stand. Something like this might happen. You are in trouble. And what we do when we are in trouble, with any other thing, okay? I'm not talking about sexual things, but with any other thing, but especially sexual things, we try to hide it. We try to cover it. So David started thinking. He had done something he shouldn't have done. He committed adultery, and he said, in his mind, oh, oh, I'm in trouble now. How do I fix this? You know, that was an opportunity for him to repent. Come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've done a wrong thing here. But what did he do? He asked Joab, he sent a message to his commander to send this guy, Uriah, the Hittite, back to him. So he was probably a low-ranked soldier because he wasn't even from Israel. He was from a region we call now Turkey. Okay, so he came to the palace, and then David started, you know, with small talk. How is everything going? Is everything okay there? Yeah, ah, okay, good. You know why? Go to your place tonight, and just stay with your wife, just drink, you know, and spend the night there. But the Bible tells us that Uriah didn't go home. The following day, he was informed, David, that this guy spent the night at the door of the palace, sleeping there. David called him and said, why did you do this? What was the reason for you spending the night here? You should have gone back to your wife. But Uriah had integrity. You know what he said? He said, how could I go home, you know, to eat, to drink, and to make love to my wife when my mates are all over there fighting? They are away from their wives. 
why should I? I have gone to my house to sleep with my wife. I don't think it's fair. I'm staying here waiting for you to send me back to battle. So, David is still trying to get out of trouble the same way we do it. We always, you know, we start with a little liar and we cover the thing and we put another liar there and we involve people sometimes. We don't want to confess and try to, you know, move away from that situation. But sometimes it's very hard because sin, you know what sin does? Tend to stick to our souls, to our spirits. So he invited him to drink with him. So they drank, you know, and eat, and he sent him home again, thinking, okay, now he's drunk, he's going to go home. Same thing happened again. The guy stayed there. So the following morning, what do I do? Let's take another step, another little sin. He gave him a note to the general. And what was in that note? His own death sentence. Because this is what it says. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him, so he will be struck down and die. And we, by reading the story, we know that the orders were followed to the letter. He died in battle. And then, what did David do? Brought Bathsheba back to the palace. And she was mourning her husband, it says here, in... 2 Samuel 11:27. After the time, the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And this is the strongest bit, the strongest sentence of this passage. But the thing David has done displeased the Lord. You see, many times we try to do things that uh, please our flesh. And in doing so, we are displeasing the Lord. Because we are not ours anymore. We are His. We belong to Him. Everything we do, we do it to please our God. Because of what He's done for us. But you know, the thing is that sometimes, if you please God out of fear, that's a problem. You have to please God out of love for what He's done for you. So, David's temptation in this case and sin illustrate the truth of James, what we find in James 1, 14, 15. But each person is tempted when, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The path to sin starts with a small step taken in the wrong direction. David was about 50 years of age. For about 20 years, he had been the king of Israel. Early on, <clears throat> when he was a shepherd, he had a strong relationship with God. Then, when he had to escape for his life, you know, because Saul was 
I told you the other day, jealous of him. So he had to escape and hide for about more than 10 years. He was still very close to God. Because, you know, when we get close to God and when we are, when we are uncomfortable, when we are struggling, when there, there is suffering, when there is pain in our life, but when we get comfortable, that's the danger. David got too comfortable. He was a musician. He was a king. He was an excellent ruler. He was a giant killer. Everything was fine for a while in his life. But at this time, I think, he started getting lazy and not close enough to God. He should have been with his troops. If not fighting, at least giving advice, giving strategy, moral support. But he was back home. Isaac Watts was a theologian in the 1700s. He wrote Divine Songs for Children. And one of the quotes of one of the hymns says, Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. When we are idle, when we are not thinking about the Lord, when we are not reading our Bible, when we are not on our knees, when we are not listening to what he's saying, we are in danger. Samuel Johnson, another Christian, says, if you are idle, be not solitary. If you are solitary, be not idle. Do you go? Do I go? Do we go? Sometimes and play with our PC at night with your tablet when everybody else is sleeping, going into chat rooms, checking pornography sites. What are we doing with our time? Or are we praying? Are we talking to God? Are we doing what is right in his eyes? If David had done the right thing, he would have saved himself and his family a great deal of heartache. But he didn't do it. And don't get me wrong. I'm speaking as a man. A man, honestly, cannot be blamed if a beautiful woman comes on his, you know, line of vision. But if we linger a bit too long for a second look in order to feed the last, we're asking for trouble. We have to be careful. You see, this is a very sobering message. It's different to the one we talked the other day. Because I think it talk, uh, God is talking to this part of us that was dealt with on the cross, on the cross. But still, you know, it's like the sinful nature wants to do what we are not supposed to do. So in David's case, what started with a simple look ended up in adultery and murder. What happened to him? As I said, he became lazy, complacent. The exterior looked good, but the interior wasn't like that. 
And sometimes we are the same. You know, we look very good on the outside. But on the inside, something wrong is happening. You know? And sometimes many Christians, they go to churches and they pretend that they are very spiritual. And they do beautiful things. And they can sing. And they can do this and that and that. And preach even. But the interior is dark. Sometimes we can trust in our gifts to save us and do things. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you are like tombs. On the outside, the tombs are very clean, very neat, you know, bleached. But inside, they are full of bones, death bones. We have to be careful. And sometimes to appear that we are holy, you know what we do? We point out other people's sins. We want to feel better than others. Nathan the prophet came to David. David had done this and nobody knew. He came to David, told him a story. He said to him, look, there was a rich man who uh, needed a lamb to cook for a visitor. So what did he do? Instead of taking one of his many, many lambs he had, he seized the only lamb of a poor man. It was a lamb that the family loved. That the lamb used to sleep in the, in the man's arms, you know? So it was to him as a son. But this guy, the rich man, didn't care. He grabbed, he seized that one and killed it for his visitor. David got incensed. And he said, that rich man has to die. How quick to judge others, David. He was one of us. Because in judging others, we want to look that we are better than the rest. We want to appear holy. But Nathan turned it around and said, David, you are the rich man who's done this. All of a sudden, the covering disappeared. And he was in the open, naked and ashamed. He had opportunities to ask God for forgiveness, but he didn't do it there, he didn't do it there, he didn't do it here. And then he felt publicly ashamed. And even the prophet said, you know, you did this behind curtains. You, nobody saw you. You know, you probably did it in your room. But the same is going to be done to you in public. And that happened in the future. How do you feel when you are discovered? How do we feel when we are discovered by God? A bit depressed, a bit condemned. But we have to do what he did. When he wrote Psalm 51, he asked God to create in him a clean heart. God forgave him, but there were consequences. What do you do if you drop a rock in water? What does the rock create? Ripples. Have you heard of the ripple effect? Create ripples, and the ripples move from the center outward. So it affects everything else. David was forgiven, but God said, you did this, and there are consequences for that. And one thing was a straight judgment from God. He said, your little baby is going to die. Because you dishonor me in front of your enemies. But the rest, 
It's up to you. You brought this on yourself. Forgiveness and consequences are not contradictions. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Sin has consequences. You can ask God for forgiveness, but if you cheat on your spouse, what might happen? You might have to endure lack of trust for a long time. Hopefully, you are forgiven. But if not, your spouse might end up leaving you. Your kids might end up not desiring to talk to you anymore. If you break the law, what happened to you? You can end up in jail. If you don't repay the mortgage, what happens? The bank can just take the property away from you. If you drink or text and drive, you might cause an accident and someone might die. So every time we do something, there are consequences. And there are good consequences also for the good things we do. But if you fail to study, you are not going to pass. You are going to fail, fail your class. So you see, this personal ripple effects. You might think, oh, this is something personal, it's mine. No, no, it's going to affect your families, your friends, your community, your church. So sin, that's why God doesn't take sin lightly. That's why he said, don't do this. It's not because he's like a policeman or something. He is a loving father. Don't you want to protect your kids? As a father, as a mother, you do that. Don't go there. Be careful with this. Don't drink from this. Don't do that. And God is a loving father. Because he's not also, also looking, only looking for us, for you, but also for the rest. We live in community. You see, a minor shift in the ocean floor from an earthquake may cause waves. But a big one may cause what? A tsunami. And that's what happened in David's life. One of his sons killed the other one. Amnon was killed by Absalom. Absalom was killed by David's general. Adoniah was killed by Solomon. So the sword wasn't... God said that the sword was going to live in that house because he had killed that poor guy. Even, he didn't, even though he didn't use the sword... In essence, that's what he did. He sent him there to die. There's, there is so much to say, but we're going to go into the conclusion now because it's too much. But I want you to tell you this. Number one, look away. When the temptation arises, look the other way. Look towards God. If you feel too comfortable... If you are not on your knees anymore, if you are not reading your Bible anymore, if you are not in close contact with God, be careful. Because if you look at that, you are going to fall for it. So, look away. Number two, 
before doing anything, a good question to ask is the following one. Is this a wise thing to do? You might get pregnant. That's a big problem. If you experiment with drugs, just one little, I'm going to give it a go, pill, you might end up being a drug addict. Drug addict. If you drive too fast, you might end up killing yourself or someone else. Don't you ever excuse, number three, your sin. Don't you ever excuse your sin. Don't say it happened all of a sudden. It was a mistake. No, 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 no. Generally, by the time, you know, we fall into sin, we have already made a series of unwise decisions. If you are already there, taking one step, you know what? It's time to come to God, to confess, to ask for his forgiveness. Don't be silly. Don't take another step. Because all of a sudden, you are going to be in the mud. Your God is powerful enough to take you out of there. But it's going to get harder and harder and harder to come back to God. So, if you're in a situation like this, the Bible tells us that if we confess, He is good, powerful to forgive us. A word of advice beware of chat rooms. You know, in your computer, when you talk to members of the opposite sex, when you carry out virtual relationship, I've seen this, I've seen this in someone closer to me, a relative of mine, whose husband ended up killing himself because she decided to leave that person for another one. And that brought a big, big, big ripple effect. One of the girls, soon after the father died, he got pregnant. The other one was 15 or 16 and she was living by herself in Sydney. I started experiencing panic attacks after six months. My family, we suffered a lot and we still do. Why? Because of something like this. Be, beware of going anywhere, even innocently, with someone, not your spouse, even if they are a co-worker. Go with more people. Be careful. Beware of sharing your marriage problems with someone of the opposite sex. Don't do it. If you have marriage problems, come to your pastor. You can share this with Bing too, if you're a lady. But be wise. Beware of suggestive comments. You know, on pictures, when you have a picture sent over your phone and say, oh, you look so beautiful. And be careful with that. Move away from that. Beware of pornography of any kind. Okay, so if you have sinned against the Lord, today is the day to repent, to confess your sin. God is willing to forgive you. As I said before, God is good. He will cleanse your heart. 
He will strengthen your spirit. And he's going to help you endure the consequences. We have to be holy because he is holy. And holiness is, is not gained by walking as close to sin as possible, but by walking as close to God as possible. Everything we do in life will have some kind of ripple effect. The question is, will that ripple effect be a curse or a blessing? Please stand. I just want you to close your eyes. You, know, you don't need a confessor. You don't need a person to talk to if you don't want to. You have God. And you can talk to him in your heart now. If there is something there unwise that you've done, if there is a sin you need to repent from, please tell it to him right now from your heart. Ask for forgiveness. And you know what? God is not going to be surprised because he put already those sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. You are his child. You are his daughter. And he wants to forgive you. He is going to make something new out of you, about, out of your relationship, if that's a problem. He can cure you of your pornography addiction. If you are taking drugs, he's powerful enough to take you away from them. So trust God now in your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you because you sent your son to pay a price for us. And we know that when we come to you, when we come to the cross, we are forgiven. We confess our sins. We confess our faults. They were mistakes. They were sins. And we want to call them that way. Help us now to turn around 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. Not towards sin, but towards you. Because you are holy. And we want to be holy. Thank you, Father. I believe that you are forgiving right now those people who are bringing themselves to you with an open heart and I know that you are cleansing their hearts and you are strengthening them and my spirit too to live for your glory from now on you just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra for more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit our website at iancanbra.org. Like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanbra.